Well, I am probably the last person that you should be listening to this Easter Sunday morning. I was a little kid that grew up in church, but I didn't want to go to church. My parents made me go to church. I used to have to walk like over a mile to get to the church, uphill, both ways, through snow and bears. It was just unbelievable. And, and when I was there, you know, I didn't want to be there. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't understand. I didn't understand the cross. I didn't understand Jesus on the cross, Jesus off the cross. I didn't understand Easter. Uh, the only time I really prayed was the time when the archbishop came. It was my confirmation. And the archbishop was walking down the aisle in the church. And I prayed, oh God, please don't let him ask me a question. Because he was, he was picking random people, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't understand. So when they announced that we're going to try something different, we're going to have church in the gym, which I always loved being in the gym. We're going to have church in the gym. We're going to stand in a circle. We're going to have guitars. We're going to play guitars, and we're going to sing. So I showed up in the gym, and I kind of felt like I was connected, and we're singing in the circle with the guitars. But then it just happened. Like God sent pancakes and the pancakes the pancakes saved me they saved my life I am here today because of pancakes you know he, he kept me in the church with the pancakes because he knew I needed him. he looked down he said there's a kid I'm going to use him in the future get the pancakes down there now and so here I am I didn't have understanding and then one day I walked into a relationship of understanding. You see, understanding matters. It really does matter. And I saw this as I walked through Rockefeller Center about a year and a half ago. There was a picture of Lester Holt. Uh, I usually watch Lester Holt every night. I, I, I respect him greatly. I think he's a man of integrity. He, he brings you know, what he can to the, to the table in terms of explaining the, the news and the newsworthy moments of the day. And he had a quote up there on the wall, Rockefeller Center, with his name attached to it. Here's the quote. Go beyond the headlines, and you'll find people who are affected by what's happening. Understanding their story is what matters. Understanding their story is what matters. Understanding matters. And then I noticed that the New York Times took out a one-page ad. It was a huge page, and they took it out themselves to explain why they do what they do with the news. And this is what it said. Securing one more interview, fact-checking claims, listening to unheard voices, triple-vetting sources, braving intimidation, reporting from multiple angles, ensuring the numbers add up, asking the right questions, and then they put it this way at the very bottom, the truth is worth it. The truth is worth it. And so here we are in the 21st century, and we still know that understanding matters, and we still know that the truth is worth it, and asking the right questions will get us there. And I believe there are three questions this Easter that are the right questions that we need to ask. How can we understand God? What does God offer you? What do you do with that? Understanding matters. The truth is worth it. 
Go beyond the headlines and you'll find people who are affected by what's happening, understanding their story is what matters. Let me tell you a story. Let me take you back to approximately AD 33. Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been crucified. He's been taken off of that cross by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And there was a guy named Nicodemus with him. He was buried. And then three days later, the most amazing thing happened that has changed the world. It's changed our world. And that's why we're here today. The resurrection. The resurrection is the theme of Christianity. It's the main, it's the main truth of Christianity. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we wouldn't be here today. And that shifted the game. It shifted everything philosophically. It shifted, shifted everything theologically. And now it's 40 days that he was, he was with his disciples. There are about 10 appearances of Jesus that are recorded in the Bible. And then about another 10 days goes by and there's, there's Pentecost, which was a, an ancient feast of Israel. And, and, and just a few days after that, let me tell you this story from Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It was getting bigger and beating and bigger and bigger. It was unstoppable. The word was spreading. People were coming. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. In the message, it says, grilled them. By what power or what name did you do this? In other words, by what authority are you doing what you're doing? You don't really have any authority, do you? How do you, how do you have the audacity to do what you're doing and proclaim what you're proclaiming? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today, for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was like our Supreme Court. It was where the, the highest decisions were made. The biggest decisions were made for the entire nation. The Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, and then conferred together. So they sent them outside and then they got together and they said, 
what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. We got to shut this down. They got out their cigars. They smoked their cigars in the back room. And they said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to shut this down. This can't go on. We are losing control, people. Shut it down now. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You're going to stop this right now. We are the authority here. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. That's a poignant moment because they were the judges. It's like standing in front of the Supreme Court and saying, you be the judges. They, they are the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, we're going to shut you down. You better stop doing this. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. You see, we have to ask the right questions because the truth is worth it and understanding matters. Okay, let's play a little name game. This is going to be the fun part of the message today. Everybody can participate, all age groups across the board. We're going to all participate together. I'm going to say something or I'm going to say a name and then you say the one name associated with it that pops into your head and it should be very obvious. So we're going to try this out first. We're going to try this out. I'm going to say something and then you're going to give me the obvious response. Here we go with the trial. Dorothy. Oz. Okay, good. You're, you're in. You're going good. You're, you're on. You know, if somebody needs to get a cup of coffee for this, quick run out, get a cup of coffee, wake up and be a part of this. Okay, so it's called the name game. Okay, here we go. Ready? Golf. Tiger. Hey, Frosted Flakes. Oh, we got another tiger. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Earl Sanders. Suspenseful Mystery Movies. Alfred Hitchcock. Steven. Spielberg, Sunny Ann, Sunny Ann, Lady, no, Lady and the Tramp, hey, you guys watch too many movies, okay, Opera, Phantom of, Escape Artist, Houdini, Mustang, Sally, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, Lost Bear, Paddington, with honorable mention going to Pooh, my favorite from my childhood, because he was always kind of lost in a certain way, and Piglet had to help him out all the time. You see, in pop culture, we have a lot of one-name associations, and each one evokes a picture and a feeling and maybe a history or relational connection that we have. But these names don't become problematic for us. None of those names become problematic for us. Why? Because they have no claim of dominion 
over us. The problem with the name Jesus Christ in our culture is that it proposes a claim of dominion. He is a king. What do you do with this king? If there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved, what do we do with that? Let's look at the main themes of our culture. The world we live in says nothing matters but your you. Nothing matters but your you. What do I mean by that? Well, I was at City Field in Flushing, Queens to see a, a Mets-Yankees game, and I saw this sign, let your you out. Let your you out. And at first I thought, what in the world are you talking about? And I go, oh, yeah, I got it. This is the theme, one of the themes of our culture. You have a you. you got to get it out. You have to show everybody who you are. You have to dress creatively, be creative, think creatively, think out of your mind about who you are, become who you are, and you got to let your you out. You have to let your you out so much that there was a guy there who had his dog letting his you out. That's sort of taking it to an extreme, but if you have a dog, you kind of understand. So the first thing of our culture, let your you out. You have to follow your heart. You have to do what you feel compelled to do. But if you do that, you know what happens? You end up going in circles and circles and circles and circles because there's no end to letting your you out. The world we live in says nothing matters but your opinion. Nothing matters but your opinion. Think coffee. Better is a quest. Move without limits. Opinions abound. They're everywhere. You turn on the nightly news and there are opinions. You turn on all the different networks and there are opinions. I used to actually have my own TV show. Anybody ever watch it? Okay, see, it's, it's proof it was the lowest rated TV show in America. For many years, I presided over the lowest rated TV show in America. I used to, it was called Interfaith Television. And, uh, and I used to interview local religious leaders on TV, Cox Cable, Channel 11, and, and they did, you know, the Nielsen ratings came out, only three people in Hampton watched, and two of them were asleep. Okay, so I, I held the record for the lowest rated TV show in America. So I would interview, and I would have an opinion, and they would have an opinion, and sometimes our opinions would be divergent. There are, you put five people in a room, you get 15 opinions. The world we live in says nothing matters but your opinion, but there's no end to the opinions. And they just go around and around and around and around and around and around. The world we live in says nothing matters but your you. Nothing matters but your opinion. The world we live in says nothing matters but your success and security. And so we read books like Excellence Wins, A No-Nonsense Guide to Becoming the Best in a World of Compromise. Team of Teams, New Rules of Engagement for a Complex World. Destiny, Step into Your Purpose. Keep out the chaos, which basically means keep your stuff where it's supposed to be and keep it away from my stuff. And I want to keep my stuff safe. You keep your stuff safe. The world says nothing matters but your success and security. And if you do that, there's no end to that either. It goes around and around and around and around. But I'm going to tell you something. God is all for your you because he made you. God is all for your understanding and your opinion that, that matters because it's based on the truth. And God is all in favor of your success and security also. But that's only because of one more theme that has to be a part of our lives. Jesus says, 
nothing matters more than your soul. When nothing matters more than your soul, your you is in the right place. When nothing matters more than your soul, your opinions go in the right direction. When nothing matters more than your soul, you are more successful and more safe than you can ever be in this world. Jesus says, nothing matters more than your soul. In the early days of Christianity, understanding mattered and the truth was worth it. And so they put that in a document and we call that document the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So you have this historical marker, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. We know when that happened. We know who he was. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, which means universal, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Understanding mattered then. The truth was worth it then, and it matters today just as much. How can we understand God? What does God offer you? What do you do with that? In Matthew 16, Jesus brought that into dramatic focus. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And that smashes through nothing matters but your you, and it smashes through nothing matters but your opinion, and it smashes through nothing matters but your success and security, and it lifts up that Jesus says nothing matters more than your soul. John 6:40 puts it this way for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Very truly John 6:47 very truly I tell you the one who believes has eternal life. Asking the right questions, understanding matters. The truth is worth it. We all know of the great tragedy that took place in Paris at Notre Dame, a fire that devastated an ancient cathedral. And they'll tell that story over and over again for many years as they work now towards the, towards the rebuilding. But as the reporters were, were telling the story, I was dismayed because I heard this over and over again about this is Holy Week and the, the theme of Christianity is rebirth and renewal, the reporter would say. This is, this is Holy Week, and the theme of Christianity is rebirth and renewal. And I would go, no, 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 no. 
no, 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 don't, don't say that. Please don't say that. The theme of Christianity is not rebirth and renewal. The theme of Christianity is a resurrection. If it's not for a resurrection, we are not here, friends. If it's not for a resurrection, the world doesn't get defined as what it really is. If it's not for a resurrection, your life doesn't get defined as what it really is. And there was a picture of the cross in the ancient cathedral with the rubble around it. The cross stands majestic. The cross stands shining. The cross announces something wonderful and amazing. And somebody wrote it this way. In the middle of the ashes, the cross remains. A powerful reminder as we move forward, no matter the devastation we face, no matter what is burned up, the cross is victorious and Sunday is on its way. What happened on the cross was amazing and astounding, but the resurrection defines everything. The tomb is empty. There is no other name. And so this morning, if you, if you understand that, if you say the truth is worth it, I'm going to ask you to do something. We have these bracelets down front, and these bracelets have two engravings. The first engraving says A412, which is the verse in Acts 4, verse 12, that there is no other name. And if you know this morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt for yourself, if you know this morning in your heart that that's the truth that you want to live your life by, then take one of these bracelets and wear it and wear it and announce to the people that you meet this coming week that there is no other name. And you really believe that. On the other side is an engraving and it says 8-4-19. And that's Sunday, August the 4th, when we're going to have our baptism at the oceanfront. And you might be saying, I'm, I'm ready to do that. It is my time. I'm ready to take that step and be baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is, is text baptism to 484848 and you'll get the information that you need and you can sign up for that. But if you're ready to mark that time in your life, then come after the service and take one of these bracelets that says, I know there is no other name. How can we understand God? What does God offer you? What do you do with that? Long time ago, in the rolling hills of East Tennessee, a baby boy was born. He was born to a, a poor young girl out of wedlock. She named him Ben. His name was Ben Hooper. So he grows up poor. He also grows up in a time and age when to be born out of wedlock is about one of the worst things that can, that can start you out in life. And so nobody wants to associate with his mom and nobody wants to associate with him. And so his mom is in the country store picking up a few things and she hears the whispers. She doesn't know who his daddy is. She's carrying that baby but she doesn't know who his daddy is. And, and Ben has to hear the taunts at school from the kids whose mamas and daddies told them, don't you be playing with that Ben Hooper boy now. He doesn't know who his daddy is. Don't you be playing with him now. He's kind of ostracized from the kids at school. You know, but as in all good stories, there comes a, a turning point, a turning moment. It's called in French a denouement. There comes this moment. And in this moment, a new pastor comes to that church in that little town, and he starts preaching the story about a name 
that is above all names. And he tells a story well, and he preaches well, and he prays, and, and people like the way he prays. And so people are, are going to that church, and they're going to that church, and they're filling that church. And little Ben Hooper hears about it. He's about 10 years old. And so he sneaks down there one Sunday morning, kind of late, gets into the back pew, sits there in the back pew, hears a message that is astounding to him. But when the preacher prays, he quick goes out the back door because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. He doesn't want to take their criticism anymore. He does this over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, and the message keeps overwhelming him. And he gets a little bit braver and a little bit stronger, and he sneaks down a couple more rows. But he always leaves as the preacher prays because he wants to get out, doesn't want anybody to see him. But one Sunday, the preacher prays a prayer that just kind of transported him to heaven. And he got so caught up in the preacher's prayer. When the preacher said, amen, he opened his eyes. He forgot to leave. So now he tries to get out into the middle aisle. But everybody's in the middle aisle. Everybody's going out at the same time. And, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's caught. And then he feels a heavy hand on his shoulder. And a big voice booms out. Son, who is your father? And you can hear dead silence in the church. Because everybody knew the answer to that. Nobody knows who his father is. And, and, and so we're going to see what, what's going to happen now. Son, who is your father? The voice booms out. And everybody freezes. Ten-year-old little Ben Hooper looks back. And it's the pastor. He's got his hand on his shoulder. He said, I said, son, who is your father? And all of a sudden, he booms out. Oh, I know who your father is. And everybody now, they just can't wait to hear this. Oh, I know who your father is, son. Your father is almighty God. Almighty God is your father. Now, you go out of this church and you make your father proud of you. And years and years later, decades later, little Ben Hooper said this. That was the day that I was elected governor of Tennessee. And you Google Ben Hooper and you'll find out he was governor of Tennessee. Why? Why? Because he knew that there was no other name and he knew what the cross was about. He had understanding that mattered. He had embraced the truth, and the truth had embraced him. He didn't just hear the story. He was starting to live the story because God wants to forgive us, and God wants to give us eternal life. God wants even more than that. He wants to give us a new journey of adventure and ministry and mission. He wants to make us the youiest you that we can be. He wants to give us the opinions that matter the most. He wants to give us the security and the success that will matter eternally because there is no other name, my friends. There's no other name. And so on this Easter, I tell you, understanding matters. The truth is worth it. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. And we're so thankful for the finished work on the cross. We're so thankful for the resurrection that defines life and defines our lives and tells the story of our lives. Father, a story that is lived out day after day with our ordinary everyday lives as we, as we live our lives as an offering to you. Oh, Father, take us now into the drama of this resurrection as it continues to unfold. 
We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.